We are in week three, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we talked about uh, how we are to be salt and light. Jesus said that. The first week was, was something called the Beatitudes. And uh, I hope that you will, you know, if you're looking for something to read, read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, I'm in a small group right now where we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the assignment in the adult small group is for us to read the whole Sermon on the Mount once a week. So... Uh, you can probably read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in like, I don't know, 10 minutes. And um, it will just sort of familiarize yourself with what we're studying here. We're going to be studying on the retreat as well. And because um, there's, there's some really good stuff, but a lot of it's deep. I would say tonight's talk is pretty deep. Like Jesus is going to say some things that I think aren't plainly obvious. Like it's just sort of like, wait, what, what is he talking about? What does this mean? So... It's helpful for us to uh, just to be looking at it. We're going to start in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Here's what it says. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is deep stuff. This is, this is we got we to we gotta figure out what Jesus is talking about. There's a lot to unpack here. So, this is important. Has anyone ever heard someone say or thought themselves, the God of the Old Testament is this sort of mean, angry, judgmental God, and the God of the New Testament is all about peace, love, and harmony, and understanding, and like strolling through daisies. If you've ever heard that, um, I, I mean, if you, if you find certain things to, to, to pick out of the Old Testament, you can find them, and certain things you can but I'll just be quick to point out that the Old Testament is filled with places where God is gracious, slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in love and mercy. And the New Testament has some passages where Jesus has some harsh things to say. And in fact, in the book of Acts, one of the sort of most, I would just sort of say most gangster things to happen in the New Testament. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the most gangster things to happen in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, if you read it, is that a couple of people are found to have been lying about how much possessions they had to share, and God kills them in judgment for that. That's in the, that's in the happy, like, friendly sweet, loving, merciful New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. It's chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. It might be why people aren't, you don't meet a lot of Ananias and Sapphira's these days. It's possible that that's the case, just like you don't meet a lot of Judas's these days, but because they weren't good people. And get, so there's, there's lots of love in the Old Testament, and there's a little bit of judgment and kind of nasty, you know, God bringing judgment in the New Testament too. It's the same God. It's throughout. In fact, the Old Testament, it's one book. When I was in high school, I got a brand new study Bible, and the, 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 I went to this Episcopal church where there was a priest. He asked each of us to take our Bible and to rip the page 
out of the middle, the you know, sort of opening between the Old Testament and Jesus. He said, rip that page out. Which I thought, man, this so, is so crazy. I'm, I'm ripping a page out of my Bible. I'm such a rebel. Uh, but he said it, he did it so that, to, to prove a point, this is one book. It's one story. And Jesus is saying here that this is the case. He says, I have not come to replace the law, abolish the law, but I have come instead to fulfill the law. I am fulfilling what was written about in the Old Testament. So what is, what is he, what, let's, let's talk about what, is, what does he mean when he talks about the law and the prophets. The law refers to all of the books of the Old Testament except for the prophets. So if you're looking at your Bible, Genesis through Song of Songs. It was also known as the Torah, contains doctrines about things like God and man and salvation. And Jesus, in his person, his teaching, his work, it fills up what is missing as it relates to those doctrines. He doesn't neglect them or contradict them. When he says he fulfills them, you could look at them as saying, they brought it to here and he filled it to the top. That's one way that he fulfills the law. The second way that he fulfills the law is that some of you know this. In the Old Testament, there are predictive prophecies about Jesus. So some famous ones that you might have heard of, like in the book of Micah, it is predicted that there would be one that would come out of Bethlehem who would be the ruler of Israel. And as you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, it talks about a virgin giving birth to a son, calling him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in, in, in the, the one that's probably the most sort of powerful, if you were to uh, look at it and read it. In fact, I know someone who was raised in a Jewish household and met a Christian, and uh, he showed her this passage, Isaiah 53, and she read it, and through that passage and through a lot of other things, became a Christian because, you know, she had never read this growing up in a synagogue. But it's, it's this passage that, that if you read it, it's like, man, they're talking about Jesus. Someone who was uh, a servant, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, who took the punishment that brought us peace, whose wounds heal us, referring to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets by literally coming as the one predicted many years before. And then finally, um, the law and the prophets contained these ethical standards that were be, to be expected to obey. And Jesus came to fulfill these in that he came to show us how best to live, how to go through difficult situations and yet not sin. And then through his sending of the Holy Spirit, he now gives us a new heart that allows us to follow in his way. So Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets through taking up where the doctrines of the Old Testament left off, through living out uh, biblical commands, uh, sorry, the, the, the fulfilling the prophecies about himself, and through showing his people how to best follow those ethical commands. Now, we turn to verses 19 and 20. In 19 and 20, it says, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great he says that your righteousness has to suppress that of the Pharisees. So, um, it, we, we need to figure out who the Pharisees are. Does anybody want to just tell me, those of you, you've, 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 you know who the Pharisees are, who were the Pharisees? Shout it out. Who were the Pharisees? They were religious leaders. They were Jewish. And what were they known for? Well, 
Being jerks, that's good, that's good. What specifically, like if you sort of, from an outward standpoint, if you were to watch one of these Pharisees, what were they really, really good at? Looking holy, that's exactly right. These guys looked really holy. That was their job, man. You could have a non-sin off with these Pharisees and you would lose every time. Like if you, you could try to be better at being holy than them, you would lose every time because their whole being, their whole existence depended upon looking good, obeying the law that they found in the Old Testament. In fact, they found uh, through the law, they figured out that there were 248 commandments, that is things to do, and 365 prohibitions, things not to do, one for every day of the year except for leap year. So added up, they had all of these things. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. No, it was finding, looking into the, into the law and making sure that they were going to follow each and every one. And in so doing, they would be made right with God. And in, at one level, they were you know, doing what the Bible, they were following their Bible. But on another level, they were missing the point because the point was never to be good enough for God. The point was that they weren't good enough and they needed God to help them, which is what happens when Jesus shows up. But here's what Jesus says about them in another section of the Bible. Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, go to that, that part, I think we have that up there, maybe we have that up there, Matthew 23, there it is. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus is saying this about them. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. This is rough. This is rough. This is not a good day if you are, you know, you th- you're like, what are you, hypocrites? Are you kidding me? A hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another. I fulfill everything. I follow through. But Jesus knew something about them and paid attention to something about them that they didn't get at all. They didn't get it. And that was that it was their heart that was the most important thing. They got the actions part, but they didn't get the heart thing. And Jesus, in this passage, and through the next several sections, we're going to be covering some of these on the retreat as well. Jesus says, this is what's so important. And, and this is probably the most important thing that you can understand, not just for this talk, but for several other sections of this Sermon on the Mount, is this. Jesus wants to change our hearts in order to change our actions. He wants to change our hearts in order to change our actions. He knows that we will only get so far if he focuses. If he comes to to someone and says, you need to change this and you need to change that. And that's what the Pharisees were up to. And it wasn't working. It It didn't do, it wasn't the thing. What does Jesus say? He says, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. He called them whitewashed tombs. So imagine a, 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 so a tomb where there are dead people inside, but someone has come along and has painted it white. That's what he's compared their hearts to. He says, that's just like you. You have dead 
things inside of you. But the outside looks clean, but it's dead inside of you. The Pharisees did not like this. This is why he would later be killed, because of the kinds of things he was saying to the Pharisees. They did not like this at all. But we have to pay attention to this, and specifically we're going we're gonna, to um, apply this to what Jesus says in just a, minute, a, a, a little bit. And this happened, God said this. This is not like it's, God's never covered this before. In 1 Samuel, it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's when they were trying to find out who the king was. And they came to David's house and they were looking for all these people. And they were like, what about him? He looks really good. And the, the, the prophet was like, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. Don't you have somebody else? And they were like, yeah, David, but you know, that guy, you know, kind of a loser. And they brought him out and he was like, that's him. Why? Because he said, man looks at outward appearance. The, the Lord looks at the heart. This is carried through to the teaching that Jesus says right here. You have to change your heart if you want to know how to change your actions and your life. And so the righteousness that Jesus requires, okay, when he says you have to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, like that would have made them laugh, like genuinely laugh. I really, really think that when Jesus said this, any Pharisee that heard them would have just started laughing. You think you can exceed my righteousness? You think you can do things better than me? Yeah, good luck, buddy. Jesus is talking about a completely different way of thinking. He is talking about a different kind of righteousness, a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. It means it's, it means it's totally different. It's a totally different kind of righteousness. One that relies on God to change your heart and that will change your actions. And that's what he calls us to. So when he says this next section, that's what he's talking about. Okay, so, he's, so he goes on the next section. Keep that in mind when um, we read the next section, starting in verse 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. But anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling uh, religious leaders. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. All right. Jesus goes back to the Ten Commandments, and he says, you've heard it said, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. He picks it apart. This is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't let anyone off the hook, right? If we were to scan the Ten Commandments, commandments, we would go, uh, yeah, that's a tough one, okay. Ooh, 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 that's, uh, I'm not really good at that one. Ooh, that, yeah, I have an F on that one. We get to number six, we're like, all square. I haven't killed anyone that I know of. Not a single person. I got an A plus on the sixth commandment. High five. High five. High five. Jesus says, not so fast. He says, you know why? Because what's at the heart? Remember, Jesus says it's about the heart. What's at the heart of the sixth commandment? It's anger. He ties murder to anger. And he says, if you're angry with your brother, you're subject to the same judgment as if you killed him. Let me stop right there. 
So you're saying, Siler, that if I'm mad at somebody, it'd be the same as if I killed him, so I'm like supposed to kill him? No, I'm so glad you asked. It doesn't mean that he didn't say that. Uh, glad I cleared that one up. What Jesus is saying is that this, it comes from the same impulse. It's the same idea. The same impulse that causes someone to kill another person. It's that anger that led them to kill. And it's your anger that leads you to call people names, right? And what is the deal with the whole name thing, right? He's like, okay, Raka. So as long as I don't say Raka, I'm okay. No, that's also not what Jesus is saying. Raka would have been just a word that would have been, uh, you know, understood then. It was a term of contempt, okay? And this phrase, this, this word contempt, when I, when I uh, read up about what raka means, and when I heard that it said it was a term of contempt, it triggered something in me because I, I remember hearing uh, a, a marriage therapist talk about the word contempt. And what I heard a marriage therapist say is when a, when a husband and wife have contempt for one another the marriage is over. That's what happens when, when, when they have contempt for one another. So wow, I was like, remember hearing that and being like, wow, that is really significant. Contempt is a feeling of disdain for someone that you don't like. And it's, 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 it's deeper than just anger. It's, it's a sense of dismissing them. It's a sense of sort of saying, I, I hate everything about you. you know, I don't want anything to do with you. So when we do that to people, when we call someone a name, and when we mean, you know, when there's something in our hearts that is just sort of like dark, and uh, Jesus is saying, look, you, you have the same impulse as someone, you just didn't pull the trigger on the gun. But it's the same impulse. And you need to do something about that. Because what's going on in your heart is, is important enough for you to, to do something about that. Uh, another commentator said that the nearest equivalent of the biblical fool in today's language would be something like stupid, stupid bastard or effing jerk. This is, of course, from a, co- a biblical commentator. Uh, as said to someone who either just messed up something important we were doing to meet a deadline or has just cut us off in traffic. The whole cut us off in traffic thing is so... F- I mean, you hear about that all the time. Like... And I know people have done it, and I'm, I just don't, I, just relax. I, yeah, okay, I cut you off in traffic. Like, what, you're going to kill me now? Because, anyway. Uh, why is it so important? Well, we make ourselves feel better by putting others down. And Jesus says, he's, he's talking about the fires of hell. He says, um, Anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Why is that? Does it mean you get, you're going to go straight to hell if you call someone a fool? No, it means that if you neglect your heart to the point where everyone around you is an idiot, moron, swear word, whatever it is, if that is how you live your life, where everyone around you is just like, ugh, meh, 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 if you, just, if you constantly have nothing but contempt for people, your heart is, is, is in trouble. Jesus says your heart's in trouble. It's heading away from the kingdom and towards the fires of hell. That's why it's important. Not because Jesus is keeping track of what you do, good and bad. It's because he says your heart is so important. 
it's too important to not pay close attention to. So how do we deal with it? Well, what Jesus says is he says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, take care of it. This is not uh, something that the world does very well. And we've talked about this in other places, so if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But uh, we talk in, in Shig about having what I call relational hygiene. So like when you have good oral hygiene, you, you brush your teeth so that your teeth are clean. There's not bad stuff that like is able to mess them up. When you have relational hygiene, you, if there's something that's between two people, you make sure that it's not there. And what you do is like if, if, if someone is mad at me and I know that, then I, I go to them and say, hey, I, th- I think you're mad at me about something. Can we, can we talk about it? And all of a sudden it's diffused. But the easier thing to do is to be mad at someone and tell someone else. That doesn't solve the problem. It makes your bitterness grow. It causes division and strife. It causes, in a group, it causes people to turn against one another. Because then there's gossip and there's like, oh, did you hear what he said? Oh my gosh, that's what happened. And then there's all these things swirling. And in a place like this, someone can get so hurt by another person that they can just say, I'm never going back there. And that's really, really difficult and painful and, and has long-term hurtful ramifications when we don't deal with this. Like, this is a huge deal. If someone has offended you or you have offended someone else, Jesus says, take care of it because your heart is, is it's too important. Your heart is what matters. I would love it if here at Shig or at church, if you saw people, like, before a church service, even during a church service, like, you know, whether that's before, you know, before you give your gift or before communion or whatever it might be, if somebody sort of, there would be a, something that would trigger them and go, you know what, I have bitterness in my heart against this brother or sister of mine, whatever it is, this good friend. I need to, I need to, I need to resolve that. And if they just stepped out of the service and called them up and said, hey, I, we, we need to talk about this. Because I, I notice that my heart is upset. Or if you know, like if as you're sort of going through the day, you know that you did or said something to someone that hurt them. If you went to them and said, hey, I don't know if this really upset you or not, but I just, I feel like when I said that to you, like I was, a lot of times it happens with sarcasm. It happens to me, where like I'm being sarcastic with someone and then the, sort of the sarcasm train gets out of control, and all of a sudden I say something mean, and I hurt someone's feelings I didn't mean to, and I have to be like, hey, I'm really sorry. What often happens when that takes place is that relationship actually grows. If you take the risk of when someone has hurt you or you've hurt them, and you sort of talk about it and resolve it, that relationship can grow. And your heart, which has, you know, had been growing cold with resentment, now can be warm and, and, and soft and the way that it should be. Jesus says, our hearts are so important. We have to take care of them. We have to uh, change them inside so that our outside actions will change. There is so much more to come on this. We're going to talk a little bit more about it on the retreat. When we come back uh, here in two weeks, we'll be talking about this as well, where Jesus um, actually mentions 
uh, divorce and why, uh, you know, sort of his heart for that and what comes from that. But uh, tonight, as you head to your small groups, I'm going to pray and send you, but I, I want to encourage you to uh, think through this. What is Jesus maybe saying to you tonight? Let's pray.